Week three, fix your eyes. Last week we saw that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the believers seeking him in Jerusalem as commanded by Jesus when he left. He said, I want you to, week one, just wait here so that you will receive power um, when I come. Last week they were, we were talking about how they were recognizing how they were empty without his power and in recognizing that emptiness and striving for seeking, they were filled with the power of God on the day of the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, the Feast of Pentecost being the most attended feast uh, among the Jewish feast. And people, because all these people were at the Feast of Pentecost, they heard what was going on in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came and it sounded like a roaring windstorm in the room. And all the disciples and apostles, the 120 who were in the room, started speaking in 15 different languages. So every nationality that came to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, they were hearing the testimony of God in 15 different languages. And Peter got to preach to them, and we saw that 3,000 people were added that day to the church. One day, 120 to 3,000. And I was at Island's home campus Tuesday night, and a question came up, and I thought it was a great question that I thought would be a great thing to talk about moving into Acts chapter 3. So I'm going to read the last few verses of Acts chapter 2 and talk to you about this to set this up because it's important to know that we're not trying to recreate the acts of the apostles. We're trying to understand what moved them to these acts, how they became so obedient to God. Amen? Because the most dangerous thing we can do is try to recreate. The disciples didn't do it. They could have recreated what Jesus did, but they didn't go get bread and fish. And they didn't try to recreate what Jesus did. They did what Jesus said. He said, wait so that I can fill you with power because I'm going to have you do some things and you're going to need power to do it. And the last few verses of Acts chapter 2, it says this starting in verse 42. All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. I'm read that one again. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The question that rose was, if this is what the early church did, can we unplug that thing, Matthew? If this is not supposed to be on, I'm sorry, guys. If this is what the early church did, when they got saved and they saw this power of the Holy Ghost, they sold all their possessions. They shared everything. Is this what the church is supposed to look like today? And my short answer to that is actually a no. And let me tell you why. And I'm going to put this in perspective for you. Because the goal is not doing what they did. The goal is to be willing to do whatever he says. This was a time when the church had no resource, had no people. They didn't have anything. So it's not surprising 
that God called them to wait for power because what he was going to call them to do was going to be something needed to start the church. And at that time, what was needed is the Holy Spirit led them, I need you to sell everything and come together because you have to create a community of people where there is no need so that the world will see that my church is something different. Now, we are called in scriptures to be willing to do this, to be willing to sell everything we have, to be willing to give it all up, to be willing to do anything we need to do. But that does not mean that that is your call in every circumstance. The goal here and what we are to see out of this passage is not what they did but why they did it. The reason they did it is because they were so in tune with God and so seeking God that they were willing to do and give up whatever he asked and whatever he said. Amen? The reason God gives us a call to be willing to sacrifice everything is that we are not to copy something and to make everything normative, rather to be led in whatever he asks, no matter what it looks like. Amen? So with that idea, we're going into Acts chapter 3. Now remember, they were going to the temple daily. Okay? That was the Jewish tradition that the Jewish people would come to the temple daily at certain times for prayer. So this chapter in Acts chapter 3 begins with a normal, everyone say normal, a normal journey on a normal day to the temple. Like a normal Saturday coming to church or a normal Sunday going to church or a normal act on Monday through Friday, whatever it is. It was a normal day. They weren't looking for anything. They were just going to the temple to pray. And some context of this, Luke is writing this narrative. Remember, Luke is the one who wrote Acts. He also wrote Luke. (laughs) Original title. (laughs) And one of the last verses in chapter 2 that we just read in verse 43, it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Luke is about to start giving the account of the miraculous signs and wonders that they were doing. So Peter and John are starting to walk to the temple for the normal day-to-day thing. So check out Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. I know y'all have never seen people beg for money in Savannah. Not downtown or anywhere like that. But Peter Peter and John, they were going to the temple for their day-to-day thing, and they did not going going in looking necessarily for a ministry opportunity. Rather, they were so in tune with the Holy Spirit that they had no problem if God decided to interrupt them despite what anyone thought about it. They weren't looking for ministry opportunity. They were simply in tune with the Holy Spirit. Their eyes were not fixed on we're going to the temple. Their eyes were not fixed on we're looking for ministry. What their eyes were fixed on was we are fixed on God, and should he interrupt, we're ready. And I wonder if that's where the church is right now at Relentless. Are we a people that are so seeking God and so fixed our eyes on him that we're willing to let him interrupt whatever, however, whenever, and to whoever? And that's what's going on with Peter and John. They're simply walking to the temple. 
they're walking up to the 3 p.m. prayer service, and a lame man was there. And it says in the scripture, he's been lame since birth. It says he was carried and put there so that he could beg from the people in the temple for money. What I think is interesting about this is the lame man is not going to the temple asking people for healing. He's not going to the temple where all these Jewish practices are being done to ask for healing. He's being put there asking for money. Because oftentimes people have so accepted their current condition that they don't have a hope of something more. They don't have a hope of healing. What they hope for is I need someone to support me in the midst of my condition. Because they've embraced the identity of their condition instead of embracing a bigger promise from God. Because they could not wrap their mind around the fact that God may have something better in mind. And I think we so accept conditions that we have no hope of healing, that we have no hope of more. We don't hope for the bigger things of God. We're not fixed on God. We're not fixing our eyes on things above. We're focused on this is who I am and this is my identity. I don't want to get free from it. I want people to help me deal with what I have. And that's the biggest weakness in the people, not just in the church, but people, period, is that we have accepted a false identity and we've embraced that condition. This man has been lame since birth and not once has he gone to the temple hoping to be healed. He's just dealing with the fact, I'm a cripple, that's how it is. I need money because I cannot work to make my own. And I think one thing that the church has done such a horrible job of have you ever heard those stories of people coming up for healing and they don't get healed and the preacher says you didn't have enough faith? Can I just say it? I am tired of that crap. Because the last time I checked, the lame man didn't have power. Peter and John did. Peter and John had the power and they were supposed to disperse it as God led. The problem with the church is we try to decide when the power is released and how it's supposed to look. And when it doesn't work, we put our lack of faith in the power in the hands of someone who has no expectation past their condition. All, they, all this man can see is his condition. He can't see anything else. He has no concept that healing could come. And I think if we're going to be a church on fire, we have got to start looking at people from a heavenly perspective and realize some people get it and some people don't. And the ones who don't, it's not their lack of faith that's causing them not to be healed. It's my lack of faith and my identity as someone possessing a power that they have never experienced and have never seen. And the Christian response usually when we don't see something work, we start blaming the people and say, well, they're corrupt and they're sinful and they're this. But God already knows that and so were we. And he says, I'm not obsessed with your sin. I've paid for that. I'm obsessed with you walking into a new identity. This guy had no hope because he's lived as a lame man all his life. And he's not dumb. Because look at what the scripture says. It says he was waiting at the gate called Beautiful. In Judaism at the temple courts, there was a strong tradition 
that on the way into the temple you were to give alms to the poor. Because what it was, it was, it was a way kind of to pay their way for righteousness. They were called acts of righteousness, giving alms to the poor. It's a sense of paying to make themselves right, to make themselves feel better about how far away they are. And they were so focused on this practice of paying for my righteousness that they missed the Messiah who paid it on the cross. Which is funny because if they were seeking God, they would have saved a lot of money. Because this guy's about to get healed. Imagine how much money they've given him. Like, oh yeah, we, we care about the needy. But isn't that what we do? Like, think about how many times we just hand out pizza and burgers to the homeless and not one of us listens to God say, go heal that man so that he can learn how to work again. Because what we do, and I'm just talking about the homeless because it's fresh in my mind, we look at them and say, oh, they don't know how to. But can't God heal their mind to get them back in the mindset of being worthy to be in the workforce? But we don't listen for that. We just say, oh, we, we care about you. Here's some food. Do we really care? Are we really listening or are we meaning them in their condition? We do it with the people of God. Well, they got this certain lifestyle. You are making an excuse for their condition and you're saying that they're not changing because they don't see who they can be. But what if a church on fire says we are so in tune with him that we can show you what you can be because we have the power that you need as well to become what you can't on your own. Let me tell you something. We cannot become certain things on our own. I, 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 we've worked in recovery centers for years. And one thing I've learned about recovering addicts, some of them simply do not have the power to do it. Only about 3% of recovering addicts recover. Why don't they have the power to do it? Because we have the power. If we're seeking, and we are to disperse something into them to give them a hope of right standing that they have not embraced because they don't see that they can be free. They say, even recovery teaches them, they always say the same thing, I am an alcoholic. I am an addict. No, you're not. That is your present condition that he wants you free of. You're not a sex addict. You're not a gambler. You're not an alcoholic. You're not, a, you're not, you're not addicted to, por to porn. You are dealing with some things, and you need to realize there is a version of you that is attainable now. It is attainable. But do you believe that, or are you sucked into this is just who I am? Well, Kyle, you don't know my life. You don't know how I grew up. You don't know what I've dealt with. I don't care what you've dealt with because he dealt with it. I have compassion for you. I have empathy for you. I have sympathy for you. But I will not let you embrace a condition because that's just who you are. That is not who you are. The biggest victory of the enemy is you convincing yourself that you are less than what he has called you to be. What has he called you to be? Perfected unto right standing. You are perfect. Walk in it. I'm not perfect. That's the problem. You won't accept that that's how the Father views you. 
He knows you sin, but he views you as perfected unto right standing. Therefore, there is no longer any limitations on how deep you can go with him. Before there was, all we could do was get into some courts, get into a holy place, but only to the priest could ever get into the most holy place. That was how the temple was set up. God says, none of you are ever worthy to enter into my presence. But he says, now I see you as perfect enough to come to me whenever you want and not only approach me, but he says, approach my throne boldly. Why don't we do that? Because we are embracing a condition. This is good. So that's where this guy is at. So he's doing the, he's like, okay, I'm going to go to the place where they give alms to the poor. But it was the beautiful gate. This gate was, it was made of the finest Corinthian brass. It was 75 foot high. They say this brass gate was more beautiful than anything overlaid with silver and gold. This dude is not dumb. He's going to the right gate to ask for some money. Amen. He knows what he's doing. But he was settled in his condition. And if we're going to be a church on fire, we've got to be ready to serve those who are waiting on the right thing but have no idea of what they need. We've got to be ready to meet needs that they don't know because they're asking for what they think is the right thing. I need money to eat. No, what you need is the ability to work. I need money because I, I can't work. No, what you need is be healed in the name of Jesus and get up and walk. And you're no longer limited by a handicap. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? This is what this guy's dealing with. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says this. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. I want to be enriched and the love of God so that I can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, not give out gifts and be generous, but to those who need them, they'll thank God. To those who need them. We have to be obedient to the need that the Father knows and not just what they think they know. And not just what we think we know. So continuing on, verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Now I want you to think for a second, this, this, this beggar who's been lame since birth, he is so accepted in his condition that he is not fixing his eyes on anything but himself. And you see it all the time. When people are asking for money, it's always the same posture. This is where this, this beggar's at. He's not looking for these people with hope. He's holding out for money fixed on himself. And the first thing Peter and John do is say, refocus your eyes. Fix your eyes right here. And it says in verse 5, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. So there was a hope that rose up in him because they were asking him to fix his eyes on them, but he still had the wrong expectation. He got hopeful because, wow, they're about to give me some stuff I need. When people walked by back then, they would tend not to look at the beggar 
because they gave money so they didn't have to engage. And I think that's probably the biggest, let's be honest about the church. Let, I mean, even relentless, like let's partner $100 a month in Haiti so that we never have to go to Haiti and actually hold a child's hand who is so hungry you can see his rib cages. I mean, let's just be real. That's what the church does. We pay our way out of service. You know we do it. I tithe. I've done my part. The church does what they do. That's, that's our thinking. So these people... He's not used to looking at any of them. They wouldn't look at them because all they were trying to do, they fixed their eyes on their religion. They cared more about let me get to the 3 p.m. prayer service than if God tells me to stop, I'll stop. They were fixated on their religion. They were fixated on their practice. They were fixated on their day-to-day pattern. And the first thing Peter and John say is look intently at us. And Peter and John, they identified with this idea of you need to fix your eyes on us because they have been developing a lifestyle of we are fixing our eyes ready to receive. They were fixing their eyes on heaven, and the angel said, stop looking in the clouds and go to Jerusalem. It wasn't until they fixed their eyes on a presence in the room that the presence in the room came. They had to shift focus away from the clouds, away from Jesus leaving. So they had already been developing this this lifestyle of we've got to fix our eyes in a different place. And even the Christian world today, stop fixing our eyes that Jesus is going to return. He says, stop looking to the clouds. Yet all we do is look to the clouds. He says, stop doing that and fix your eyes on the fact that you need power to go. Not to sit and wait, but to go. Sit and wait so that you can go. They were already in this mode of fixing their eyes. Whether you are in need of something of God, or you just need God. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Y'all know, every one of us has got one of those sins that easily trips us up every single time. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. What do you fix your eyes on? Do you fix your eyes on what you can see? Or do you fix your eyes on the one that can exceed the things you can see and give you what you may not realize you need? Because think about sin. We sin to give us what we think we need. Think, I mean, you think about every sin, it's getting something we think we need. And God says, if you would just fix your eyes on me, you'd be able to strip off that weight. It's, it's actually quite simple. Fix your eyes. The disciples just received the power they didn't know about by fixing their eyes, and the beggar was about to receive something he didn't know about by fixing his eyes. You see, both had the same thing in common. It's where they were positioning their eyes to. The disciples were now focused totally on, God, we need your power. 
We need you. We can't do this alone. We can't do this by practice. We can't do this by rhetoric. We need you. And the blind beggar is fixing his eyes in a new place and about to receive something new. And in verse 6 of Acts chapter 3, it says, But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. He says, I don't have what you're expecting, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, get up and walk. I think that deserves a shout right there. <laughs> In the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, get up and walk. They did not have the thing needed to support the condition, but what they did have out of fixing their own eyes was access to a treasure in heaven that they could access to make him able to get up and walk and make his own wealth. What is the purpose that we have from God? He says, I want you to produce. This man could not produce, so he had to beg, and Peter and John knew how to access treasure from heaven and shift it into the atmosphere of the earth so that this man could be restored and redeemed so that he could do what he needed to do. A church on fire is less concerned about making the present condition bearable and more concerned with shifting someone's life into the presence of heaven wrapped in the arms of a loving father. You know why people are miserable? Because the people that have the power to shift heaven to earth aren't doing it. We're fixed on ourselves. We're fixed on how miserable we are. We're fixed on what we wish we had. And none of us are fixed our eyes on him. Because if we would, I guarantee you'd get stopped at least once a day. They were on a normal day today. I'm going to the temple. Hmm. And I want to point out something here. Look at verse 7. Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He says, get up and walk. And the man's feet and ankles were healed as he took Peter's hand. Peter had never walked this out without Jesus being with him or around him. He had never done this by himself. And he says, get up. Now, I don't know about you, but I get, I get nervous and I doubt myself when people say, I need prayer for this to be healed. And I'm scared to death because I want to I stretch out my hand and be healed, but I'm scared of the disappointment that if they don't get healed, how stupid will I look? Can you imagine what's going through Peter's mind right now when the Holy Spirit just said, tell that man to get up and walk? Because Peter, remember, his original name was Simon. He's the doubter. He is the back and forth. He is the I'm not so solid guy, and he's starting to walk into some solid stuff. So if Peter did this under the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he must have gotten something to be able to stretch out his hand to act out what he was praying for. And because Peter stretched out his hand and took him up, the man was healed. So what must he have he had gotten? Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 9. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the spirit gives the gift of healing. Peter needed the power of the manifestation of faith in order for this man to walk out a gift of healing. And many times the church on fire hasn't seen this kind of stuff because we're not relying on a power from the Holy Spirit to give us something that we don't have much of, faith.
which God says you only need a mustard seed amount of. But apparently that's a pretty big amount. Because think about it. Do you really have the faith where if you went downtown tonight and not you said, but God said, tell that man to walk, would you have the boldness to actually believe that it's going to happen? Peter needed faith, and he got it. He got tremendous faith in the moment. He reached out his hand believing that he was hearing correctly because his eyes were not fixed on himself. His eyes were not fixed on the 3 o'clock prayer meeting. His eyes were not even fixed on the beggar because the beggar was put there every day, so they passed this guy a few times. It was at this moment Holy Spirit said, stop and have him look. And look at verse 8. It's talking about the man. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Not only did he get up and walk, but he attached himself to these two apostles. It says he, he didn't just go in saying, look what happened. He attached himself to them. Because what happens with the manifestation of the power of God, it causes a fellowship. And if we were truly acting out what God wanted, it wouldn't be a one and done, be healed and out of here. It would cause such a tremendous shift in their mindset that they want to attach themselves to the people that the power of God just manifested through. And that, my friend, is how we're going to build the church. That people will not want to be detached from what they just felt, from what they just experienced. They wouldn't say, thank you, be blessed, have a good day. They would say, I want to walk with you and do life with you. And we'll say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, come on. They attached themselves to the, it said he attached himself and walked in with them. And immediately, you know what he did? He was praising God. And praising God was not just he went in the temple to prayer. Because think about it, this was prayer time. They had a certain uh, rhythm to prayer. They would say certain things. They would bow at certain times. This guy goes in leaping and shouting and praising God. And I say that praising God in this moment is not just him saying praise God, but praise God was walking in a new identity from a lame man to a healed man walking. And I think sometimes the biggest praise that we need to give God is not, God, I love you, but start walking in an identity that he bought for you to be redeemed in. I might be pressed, but I'm not crushed. I might be struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I am healed and I am perfect unto righteousness. And no matter what comes against me, if God bought my freedom, I'm going to walk in freedom. Too many of us have received salvation and we're still walking like dead people. How can you be depressed when the Son of God bought your life and said, I've got plans to prosper you and strengthen you? Because we don't fix our eyes. We fix our eyes on what we see and it causes depression and anxiety and hurt and pain. But if you fix your eyes on the right thing, you wouldn't legally be able to access depression. You wouldn't be able to legally in the, the authority of the kingdom of God to say, I'm not good enough or this is just how I am. No, it's not how you are. It's the condition that you've accepted that God won't accept. And he wouldn't accept it to such a degree that he says, let me buy it for you.
here's my son. So look at chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Now, without getting too far ahead, I want to read a scripture in the, in the next chapter that we're going to tackle next week because it, t- it says something about this beggar. Look at Acts 4.22. It says, For this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Now, let me just put something in perspective. This is going to mess with some of you. This man had been lame and been going to the temple for how many years? 40. Jesus only got killed 50 days ago. Which means you know who passed this beggar quite a few times? Jesus. And that made me think, well, what? Why, Jesus, I mean, Jesus, why didn't you, like, heal that dude? Because it says he did so many miracles, they didn't have enough books to write about it. The manifestations, the manifestations of God are totally dependent on his timing and our willingness to listen and say yes. And the obedience to say no to what's not meant for us. Because if we are the church... Jesus knew if my God has not told me to heal that man it's for somebody else it's for Peter's growth it's for Susie's faith and we sometimes we beat ourselves up sometimes because of missed opportunity but we need to be so fixed on Jesus that we know we don't look at the opportunity as oh there's the opportunity because it's not about the opportunity. It's did he tell me? Did he tell me? You don't fix your eyes on the need. You fix your eyes on the giver of the resource to meet the need. And sometimes it's not meant to be dispersed by you. Because what if it needs to be dispersed through the arm of the body, but you're the foot of the body? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I know that was a weird thing, arm and foot, but you get what I'm saying. Fixing our eyes on him and nothing else. Verse 11, they all rushed out in amazement in Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter, can you imagine that this dude's probably a little scared at this point? They've been passing him for years, giving him some money to ignore him, he starts leaping and praising, and the crowd runs toward him. It says he holds tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd, people of Israel. What is so surprising about this? He didn't go looking for the opportunity. He saw it in a moment. He says, what's so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? And I want to point out what Peter saw because this is what the church has done. One man gets healed, so Holy Spirit must be telling us to open up a healing service. You know, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you're, you're at church and, you know, um, 
Jesus over here, he needs healing, and I, in Jesus' name, be healed of this hair. And <laughs> or oh no, be healed in the wanting to grow a beard. He always compliments my beard. And then it happens, and what pastors do? There's an anointing in the room for healing, and that means everyone must be healed. But that's not what Peter saw. He didn't say, there's a healing anointing in the temple today. No, no, no. He saw an opportunity to point that manifestation of healing to fix their eyes. Not on the healing, but on Jesus. A manifestation of God is a chance for people to hear the truth, not to impress them with more. What truth? His work continues, and it continues in us. So look at what he says in verse 13. Is this okay? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Peter makes it clear that, that the God he was talking, notice how he starts. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, this is not some God that we're making up. This is not a God that we are just hoping for. It is the same God that you are here for in the temple. We are talking about that God. He says, you were so focused on the wrong thing that you miss the Messiah. And because you were focused on paying your own way in righteousness and what you expected the Messiah to look like, you missed him and you killed him and you released someone who was proven to be a murderer where this man, all he did was heal. Because you weren't focused on him. You missed the author of life because your eyes were not fixed on God. You are fixed on paying for your own righteousness. And if we don't fix our eyes on him, church, we will miss every opportunity to make his name great and allow him to do what he wants in the temple. And the temple now is you. Do you understand what we have access to? Why have we taught people to evangelize everyone by simply saying Jesus is coming again get saved from your sins why have we missed that we can bring heaven into Bilo that we can bring heaven into the, 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 the shameful thing that is Walmart or whether Walmart lines and this new satanic self checkout thing they got at Walmart <laughs> we don't we don't realize what we can bring into the atmosphere. They did. Because they were fixed their they fixed their eyes on the right thing. Hmm. Verse 16. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. And I want to say this that Peter points out something much deeper than just saying in the name of Jesus. Because this is bad theology too. Just because you say in the name of Jesus don't mean you get the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. 
He points out that they said in the name of Jesus, not because they needed to say in the name of Jesus, which I do believe we need to give credit in the name of Jesus. But the focus for in the name of Jesus has less to do with saying it and more to do with the recognition of the authority of which they operate in. We are not operating under the authority of we go to church. We're not operating in the authority that we come to temple every day. Because you know what? All these unbelievers go to temple every day in this passage. Jesus himself says, many will proclaim my name, but I'll say to them, I never knew you. It's not, in the name of Jesus is all about, are you truly operating under that authority? And the only way you can truly say that you operate under that authority is you fix your eyes on him. Not on yourself, not on your needs, not your expectation of how he should show up. Well, Jesus didn't meet my prayers. Well, your eyes have never been fixed enough for him to recognize your gaze. This must be a tough message tonight. <laughs> Fixing our eyes. Saying in the name of Jesus was, did not make it powerful. It was being under the authority by which the name they spoke. Verse 17, friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. Look at how he shifts it. You killed him, you did it, you did it, but what you did was in ignorance. You did not know. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Peter shifts. He says, you operate out in darkness, in ignorance. Ignorance is darkness. And God loves you so much that now something's open to you, even though you acted out of ignorance. And look at what he says in 19. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. He must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. He says, repent, turn. And what is repentance? Fixing your eyes on the right thing. Turning away from what you've been obsessed with, turning away from what you've been looking at, and fix, refocusing your mind and your eyes out of darkness into the light of the knowledge of God. And I began to think about Peter doing this because he says... Times of refreshment will come. Jesus will come, but he's got to remain there as promised by his prophets for a while. Peter says, the reason that God makes repentance open to you is because until Jesus comes back, we need you. And even though you put him there, he can still use you. And with every person in this place tonight, you need to fix your eyes on the right things because your destiny and your purpose has not ended based off of how sinful your life has been or how many times you've got it wrong, even if it's been a revolving door of mess up, mess up, mess up, mess up, mess up, mess up. He says, if you would just fix your eyes, I can use you until he comes back. I need, God needs you. Like, he needs you. He needs all of you, not a portion of you. He needs you because there's someone else waiting on something 
that is a power in the temple that you say is his. He says, I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I want you to seek me. Because I need you. Hmm. Peter's getting something that we read in 2 Corinthians. Look at verse 5, 16 through 17. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. That's why they killed him. Their eyes were not fixed on the Father. Their eyes were not fixed on the promise. Their eyes were fixed off of this Jew. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Peter said to them, I'm not looking at you in a judgmental way. I see you how God sees you. People operating in what you do not know. And there is a way to walk as a new creation before God creates something new through the returning of Jesus. In other words, people, you don't have to wait on a new earth and the return of Jesus. You have access now to walk into what he wants you to be if you would just fix your eyes in our belonging to him. It's not, I can't wait to meet the maker in heaven. That's not the goal. Heaven is not our home. Earth is. All through the Bible. God did not make man and then man got kicked out of heaven. He made man and put him on the earth. Our loss was the presence of God, heaven on earth. This is our home. So let's fix our eyes on the right thing. How do we get so full of God that his power will come through a church on fire to change everything and aid in the process of restoration until he finishes it out? And until he finishes it out, I will be his temple to work through and restore anything that he sees fit. So I will fix my eyes on him so that he can interrupt my day with whoever he wants, however he wants, and whenever he wants. And look at verse 20 again. It says, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he'll again send you, Jesus, your appointed Messiah. If you will turn and fix your eyes on him and the new you, the refreshment of, you, of your life that you so long for will come from simply walking in his presence. And isn't that what we always want? Refreshment? I'm tired of my long day. I'm tired of my day at work. Tired of my life. I'm tired of these fights. I'm tired, I'm tired of the broken relationship. I'm tired. I'm tired. And he says, refreshment will come by walking with me. But you cannot walk with me if your eyes are fixed on everything else. Because God knows something that we overlook. He knows you can see that, that thing and you can't see me. So it's easier for you to fix your eyes on something you can see instead of fixing your eyes on that which you cannot see. If you would fix your eyes on that which you cannot see, the refreshment that you don't get will come in and invade your temple. The refreshment that you don't see will come if you fix your eyes off of what you can see. That song, there'll be another in the fire standing next to me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you read the scripture, they're not the ones who saw the fourth man in the fire. The guards were. All they knew is they weren't burning. 
They were being refreshed in the flames. Then at the very end, verses 22 to 26. I'm getting done early tonight. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Aren't y'all glad that we're just a loving church family? Because <laughs> if I was like a Baptist preacher, man, you'd be crucified right now in front of the church. Acts 3, I'm just kidding. Acts 3, 22. Come on, I'm, try, I'm, try, I'm trying to close this thing up. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what's happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you're included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. You see, just like the beggar only expected money for his condition and got something greater, the Jewish people expected a Messiah to look a certain way. And because their eyes were fixated off of it, they didn't see that the promise that they'd been waiting for was there. We have got to become a people that turn and fix our eyes on the right thing. And if we would just learn to fix our eyes, to seek him to the, to the place where the Holy Spirit can interrupt the day-to-day -day journey like Peter and John on the way to the temple to heal a beggar that had been conditioned to accept that that's who he was. Can you imagine the church that the people of the world will see? I don't think we need to fix our eyes on how can we market the best. I don't think we need to fix our eyes on how can we look the greatest. I don't think we need to fix our eyes on necessarily the best teaching or the best worship, um, and, and which we, we, we don't need to fix our eyes on how can we be trendy. We don't need to fix our eyes on what are we doing to go reach them. We need to fix our eyes on are we looking like something that they can't be apart from. And when we start to look like that and fix our eyes on God, the revival and the restoration and things that everyone's waiting on, it'll come. And I'll prophesy what we read next, and the people will be added to the church daily.